Well, good morning, everybody. Making sure this is, yep, okay, we're on. Ah, well, if you don't know who I am, my name is Jason, and I am, hi. <laughs> and I am a pastor apprentice here at Crosswinds Church. And I just want you to know whether you are here with us in person or you're watching online with us, whether you are a man, a woman, whether you are gay, straight, black, white, any color of skin, a Democrat, a Republican, you are loved by a God who is searching for you. So out of curiosity, can I just get by a quick show of hands? Do we have anybody in the room who's a middle child? Oh, we, we do. We got a couple. Awesome. Um, okay, so another, another quick question here. Um, if, if you feel comfortable answering this, do any of those people who are middle children feel sometimes like that stereotypical middle child, that forgotten child? Okay, we got one in the back. All right, okay. Very open, very honest. I, I like it. Thank you. Uh, well, today, that's kind of what today's parable can, can be sometimes, is, is that, that middle, middle child, you know? Because sometimes it's a little forgotten in the parables of Luke 15. You know, you, you remember the, the sheep, you remember the prodigal son, but how many people here today can openly and honestly say that they could say with 100% certainty what that middle parable is? Was it a man or a woman searching for the coin? What did they do to find that coin? How many coins did they start with? Well, and that's okay. And honestly, if you really look at the three parables together, they actually kind of have that stereotypical three children kind of uh, dynamic. The, the older child is stereotypically that very responsible child, right? They're, you know, a little more put together. And, and the shepherd in that first parable is very responsible. He goes out, he, he goes and finds that lost sheep that's lost from the hundred. And then the, young, the youngest child, stereotypically speaking, can sometimes be a little more of the, the baby of the group. They can kind of get away with a lot more, right? You know, because, well, they're, they're seen as a little more innocent and, and whatnot. And if we look at the prodigal son, he seems to get away with quite a lot, doesn't he? He, he goes out, he uh, spends all of his resources, he comes back and, well, he's brought back in. And, and we'll go into that in, in a couple weeks here, but it, you know, this middle parable, sometimes it can almost break my heart that, that so many people don't quote it as often as the lost sheep or the prodigal son. 
there's so much significance to this. And there's kind of a, a few reasons as to why it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. One, believe it or not, this is actually my favorite parable of the three parables in Luke 15. Uh, don't actually ask me why. I just actually really have an affinity for it. Okay, you could ask me why, but just prepare for a second sermon afterwards if you ask me why. Um, but I also find it sad because Jesus is the one that told these parables. And we know that Jesus is the son of God, God incarnate on this world. And if that's the case, and if God has this great plan and God doesn't do anything randomly, if God does things for a reason, then he would not have told this parable for no reason. There is significance to why he told this parable. He wouldn't want us to just forget it. So why aren't we saying it as often as the sheep or as, as the prodigal son? Well, newsflash, we weren't supposed to forget it. We are meant to study this, to, to be familiar with it. You wouldn't expect a parent to forget their middle child. You wouldn't forget their siblings to forget their middle sibling either. So Michelle and Annika, I need you to do me a favor and pay a little more attention to Natasha. I'm just kidding. I know they love each other very, very much. That's why I can tease them about this. Um, so let's go ahead and let's open up our Bibles. Let's turn to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to start here in verse 8 and look at what God has for all of us. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Man, look at how simple and clean this parable is. Isn't it nice? I mean, there's quite a lot to it, though. Now, I'm sure you're probably looking at me like, okay, what's there to really know about this story? I mean, she's lost a silver coin, right? And, and we've heard over the past, you know, while studying in Luke, that silver coins are usually referred to as denarii, and that's a day's wages. And, well, if I lost a day's wages, I'm going to go find it. I mean, Jason, I want my paycheck, <laughs> right? It's a pretty cut and dry story. So let, let's, let's just get going. Let's wrap this up. Let's get out of here before 11 o'clock and we can be on our way, right? Oh, ye of little faith. It's time to buckle up, buttercup, because we are in for a ride. We got some learning to do. First things first. This actually isn't a denarius. This, the Greek word here, is one of the few times that the Greek word drachma is used. And a drachma, while 
not, while pretty valuable, is just barely not a denarii. It's just under a nine-tenth of a denarius, actually. Uh, so it kind of equates to about 10 silver coins is about 8.8 .8 denarius. So eight days and 0.8 of a day, not quite sure how many hours that is, but uh, I wasn't really going to be doing the math on that. But look at what she really has to go through in order to find that coin. She sweeps her floor. She lights a lamp. And she seeks diligently to find it. And not only that, but she notices it's gone and begins to search immediately for it. There's no hesitation. She just drops everything and starts to look for it. Now, if we look at what the cost of oil was back then, we start to kind of wonder why she's really doing all of this. You see, oil was a very expensive and pricey thing back then. In fact, when the prophet Elijah went and um, was doing his ministry, he found a family who was in debt. And he went up to them. And through a miracle of God, he had them gather a bunch of empty vessels. And all they had left to them was a single, sorry, it's pulling out of me, a single uh, container of oil. Now, he started to pour that oil into these empty vessels. And that oil continued to reproduce over and over and over again through that miracle of God. So, what happened is Elijah told them, go and sell those containers of oil and pay off all of your debt. That means that oil is very valuable. And yet she's using that oil to find one simple coin. Now, okay, maybe she needs to because it's dark out, right? Y you can't find anything if it's dark out. But... The thing is, she's, it's not going to be that dark, guys. Look at our context clues here. Look at the end where she goes and rejoices with her friends, her neighbors. She's calling them together immediately. You don't call your friends and neighbors together at nighttime. They might be sleeping. That would require going out. That would require disturbing them with family time. And yet, that's exactly what she's doing. Guys, she's lighting a lamp during the middle of the day to find this coin. She is actually spending precious oil, precious time to find this singular coin. And all of it just for that small coin. Why? Why in the world would she do this? By the time that she has spent that time, by the time she spent that oil, by the time she has rejoiced, she could have probably 
earned a whole nother coin, maybe a denarii, maybe a whole day's wages instead of 0.8 day's wages. So what is she doing? Well, the reason she's probably doing this is the coin is so much more than just the money involved. You see, back then, there's significance to the fact that this is a woman being explained here. The fact that there are 10 silver coins. There's a concept that many people have heard of called a dowry. Now, in our day and age, a lot of us understand a dowry as something the bride pays to their groom when they get married in certain cultures. But in biblical times, a dowry was kind of both ways in a way. First off, you had what was called the bride price. It was this thing that the groom actually paid to the bride's family. The bride was more valuable. But more importantly than that, the bride usually had nothing coming into the marriage because she left everything with her parents. Everything that she had belonged to them, except 10 silver coins that she would end up stringing together into a headdress that she would wear on her wedding day. That was her dowry that she brought in and in fact was considered so valuable that it was almost sacred. That dowry was untouchable. Nobody could touch it even to pay off a debt. And she is searching diligently for it, not because it's worth any money to her, but because it is so sentimental to her that she considers it more valuable than the actual worth of the money itself. That is why this is so significant. That coin isn't going to be used to purchase anything because it can't be used. It's part of her dowry. It, it's like saying you're going to go and purchase something with your wedding veil, ladies. You're not going to do it. It's, it's something that's so precious and valuable to you. So what does that actually mean for us? It means that we are like the coin in God's eyes. We serve no monetary value to God. He's not going to be trading us around for goods and services. But the amount of sentimental value that we hold in God's eyes the amount of love that God has for us in his heart is so vast, is so wide that the moment he notices that we are lost, he puts down everything and begins to search for us diligently. He spends time, energy, resources to try and find us again. Because that is what we mean to God. 
Now, I'm going to address some of the, the mothers in the room here in a, in a minute here, but I, I want all parents to think about this question. What would you do if a child of yours became lost? Just think about it for just a second. Because remember, we are God's children, right? So I told you I was going to address some mothers. Kathy, if Cody or Megan were lost in the woods, what would you do? Would, is there anything you wouldn't do to find them? No. Her answer was no. Annika, if Natalie or James were out there and became lost, is there anything you wouldn't do to find them? No. Jennifer, if Devin or Matt were out there lost, is there anything you wouldn't pay to get them back? No. That is the love that parents have, that God has for us. Because that is the love of our Father. And it's why He is our Father. Because parenthood is so much like that. And this is why Luke is the only gospel writer to share these parables with us. His audience was a Gentile audience. He wasn't speaking primarily to Jewish people. He was primarily speaking to those who had never known God, who had never known who Jesus was. So, so many people needed to hear about the message of becoming lost in God's eyes. And that is why it's in Luke's gospel. Because he needed those who were lost. He needed us to know how precious we are to God. Because God sees that lost soul. And it is the immediacy in which he acts that is just so precious. He does not wait. And why? Because if he waits, then the devil can come in and steal that soul just like a lost coin, finding it on the ground. He picks it up and he holds on tight. But God doesn't allow that. God starts searching immediately. God is always searching, which means he is searching for you right this second. He's not out there forgetting about you. Even if you feel like you've been forgotten. You're not. He is searching so long as you would turn and just look for him. So what does that really mean for us? What are we supposed to do? Well, the thing is, we are supposed to be like the women of this story. We must be the ones cleaning the house that we're in 
and rejoicing with the lost coins that we find. And this can include people who are right here sitting among us in our own church. It can include people in our own family. It can include our best friends or the neighbors that live right next door to us. That is how close that God wants us to look. That's why we're in this series called U-Turn, Near and Far, because God searches for those who are near to us, just as we must. We can clean the house by praying, by sharing the gospel, and by living the life that Christ has for us. And sometimes that's going to include a sacrifice of time. It's going to include sacrifice of money or energy, resources. Why? Why would it do that? Because God does that. That money might just be, hey, can I take you to lunch sometime and fellowship with that person who's lost? to create a bond with them. I know if I didn't have a prior bond with Jasmine back there, if I hadn't taken so, many, so much time, resources, energy, I would have never had the opportunity to share the gospel because we wouldn't have had that connection. That's sometimes what it takes. Sometimes, yes, we can share the gospel with somebody and immediately have that connection. But many other times, most other times, it takes that connection, that building, to truly share the gospel with them. And the thing is, is that's exactly what God wants us to do. You see, in our Monday night group, we were reading through Revelations. And God has this great plan for us, this, this image of heaven. But he also has this fine line. For you see, in Revelations 21.8, it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. It's an image that nobody wants to go to. And that's why we share. Because we don't want our neighbors, our friends, our family members to experience that. We want them to experience the joy and the gift of heaven that God has for us. And you see, Dr. Dan, when I was talking with him on Thursday, told me the story about procrastination. A woman had asked him, is procrastination a sin? And he said, depends. If it's something you want, no, of course not. You can procrastinate all you want. But if it's something that God has told you to do, such as sharing the gospel with other people, then yeah, we're missing the mark. And look, 
if you really look at those first two words that God has in there, as for the cowardly and the faithless, thing is, that's where it all lies. If we are not getting out there, if we're procrastinating on that, then that can actually be that sin that we just, we don't want. It's, it's so harsh and, uh, I want to count myself among the faithful, those who are sharing the gospel. And you see, there's, there's this word, this, this phrase, delayed obedience is disobedience. It's actually in the Monday night group, Annika, who shared that, that phrase. And, and it's so simple, so easy, so, so amazing. And I, I was very glad because that phrasing condensed it all into an amazing little thing. Have we been delaying our obedience to God for any reason? So what I, what I have for us is just a really quick self-assessment. If we can switch to the next slide really quick. Just think about these questions, answer them quietly, privately, and just think about how many of each letter that you get. So first is, when was the last time you had a gospel conversation? A, the last few days or the last week. B, a few weeks ago. C, a month ago. D, a few months ago or E, a year or more ago. I'm going to give you a couple seconds just to think about when that last time was. And remember that a gospel conversation can really be sharing of your faith, but should be telling somebody that Jesus was the Son of God who came down, who died for your sins, and three days later rose from the dead. we can go to the next one. Next one is very simple. How many people have you discipled? A is eight or more. B, five to seven. C, three to five. D, one to two. E, maybe you haven't. And that's okay. We all have different reasons. And then the last question. How many disciples have your disciples made? A is 12 or more. B is 11 or 10. C is 9 to 7. D, 7 to 4. And E is 3 or less. Now, I put those numbers there kind of on a lowball scale, honestly. You see, we should always be sharing. We should always be be trying to make those disciples. And as our disciples make disciples, that, that number can become astronomically and exponentially large, which is kind of nice. Now, 
for every A answer that you got, give yourself one point. For every B answer that you gave yourself, two. C is three. D is four. E is five. Our goal in life should be as close to zero as possible. Now, Jason, you, you, you didn't say any of these were worth zero points, so how do I get a zero? Well, the thing is, is we really can't. The goal should always be to get to zero, but the thing is, it's an ongoing process. The last time you shared a gospel conversation, well, if we're not constantly sharing, then a few days ago or last week can turn into months or years ago very quickly if we're not continuously sharing. How many disciples have we made? Well, we want to be constantly making disciples. And if we're constantly sharing the gospel, we're going to be making disciples. And if we share that knowledge with our disciples, they will make disciples of their own as well. Now, there can be many reasons why you've not had a gospel conversation before. Maybe you don't know how. Maybe you've never known how. If that's the case, please reach out to me or Pastor Ken, Abdu, or any of the deacons here, any of the leaders here. We would be more than happy to, to set you up with, with some resources to, to disciple you, to, to help you to, to do that. If you've never discipled somebody before, again, maybe you don't know how. And again, same thing. Reach out to us and we will help you. We will show you how to do that. Do it right after the sermon, right after the message. Do it immediately, just like God has shown us how to do here. Or just start by praying for the opportunity to share. Everything can always start with prayer. And that's the amazing thing. And if you're like me, where prayer is hard, where you may not know what to say all the time, open up to the book of Psalms. Read a psalm and let the psalm guide you in prayer. It will change how you pray so astronomically. And then, when we've done all of these steps, we get the promise at the end of all of this. Right there at the end of the parable is the line, just so I tell you there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Just over one. Christ here is confirming that angels are in heaven and they exist how many times have you heard the phrase, well, when I am an angel in heaven, don't you want to rejoice then with the angels in heaven when we are up there? And even before that, we get that opportunity when we share the gospel, when somebody turns to Christ, when all of that has happened. We get that joy. And like I said, sometimes it can take that time, 
that resources, that energy, and that's okay. There was a time when I was constantly going out to this one church in our organization. And I was doing pulpit supply out there. It seemed every month or every other month and sometimes multiple weeks in a row. And I honestly thought that I was out there just to do a job. But I made sure that every time I was out there that the gospel was shared. Even though everybody in that church seemed like they had the Holy Spirit in them. And then the last time I was there, something amazing happened. Something I never thought would happen. The man who seemed like he was the most Christ-like there. The one who had given his life to Christ. He was up there giving the announcements. He was the one half the time leading people in worship. He was gun-ho for Christ. I did an altar call. And he was the only person who came forward. And he openly said to me, I've never before given my life to Christ. That is how close sometimes these things can happen and these things can be. The people around us sometimes can be those lost coins. But if we make sure to sweep the floors, if we make sure that we are constantly working and seeking diligently, then God will help us to find those lost coins. And you know what? When I talked with him afterwards, he was a changed man. And the joy that he had in his heart was so immense that I didn't even recognize him. Not only that, but the joy that the church had over him was so high that it was like that whole church had been transformed. And even afterwards, when I called him and talked with him, the tone of voice he had was different. He talked about how everyone was so happy and, and, and just joyful. They didn't know what happened. He didn't tell them. But everybody could tell there was something there to rejoice over and they were rejoicing. That is why we need to be talking openly and doing what God has asked us to do by sharing the gospel. So today, let's stop delaying in our disobedience to God. Let's start obeying immediately and let's get to work sharing the gospel so we can rejoice with 
all of those around us, whether they are nearest to us or not. Because the thing is, when we search for those who are nearest to us, we will eventually reach those who are the furthest. Because we will share the gospel with those nearest and they will become like spiritual children to us. And then they will go and share the gospel and basically make spiritual grandchildren and so on and so forth until all of a sudden you've reached somebody in Indonesia because three or four steps down the line, they went on a mission trip and saved somebody. All because you shared the gospel with somebody way back here in Plainfield, Illinois. It doesn't have to be you reaching that person in Indonesia if you were in that line. As we prepare our hearts to stop delaying and to start diligently searching for those lost coins around us, let us remember that God is the one who deemed us valuable enough to constantly be searching for us. The least that we can do is to help him in the search so that the rejoicing in heaven will be immensely and immeasurably abundant. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you have deemed us so rich, so immensely and immeasurably valuable in your eyes that you would not let the devil steal us away from you, Lord. Lord, thank you that you have sent whoever shared the gospel with us out into the world, whether it was a parent, a pastor, a friend, or even a complete stranger, Lord. Lord, let us be that for somebody else in this world today. Let us be the light for somebody else. Let us be like the woman who goes out, who shares. Let us share that your son was out there dying on the cross for our sins and that he then rose from the dead so that we could be forgiven of our sins if we just turn and believe in him, Lord. Lord, thank you that you search so diligently for us and that you never stop, Lord. That you then share that joy with everybody. That there is no stopping that joy, Lord. That you are on a mission and you will not be stopped by anything. Whether it is day or night you search for us, you find a way to light that lamp. Lord, thank you. Let us be that lamp. Let us be the, the broom that sweeps. Let us be the woman who searches. Lord, please help us to, to use us burn a fire in our hearts today, Lord. Amen.